Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Quartz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. You know, as I was listening, listening to you sing and uh, listening to the voices of God's people this morning, I was reminded yet again of how absolutely important times like this are. I heard a report this week that four out of every 10 pastors are ready to quit because ministry is so hard. And um, how uh, in this day of, of um, wars here and wars there, of great conflict and, and unresolved issues all across our world and in our nation and, and on and on and on. I, I was reminded of how blessed I am when I walk into worship, even as your pastor. And I'm not, I'm not worried about what's coming next, but able to join with you in the worship of God. I'm so thankful, I'm so grateful for moments like the moment we just had because I'm reminded of who is on the throne. And I'm reminded of who the real Savior is. And I'm reminded that there is a Savior of the world and he has all the power that is needed for all that we face here and now. And I'm reminded of how important it is to step away from the news, to step away from uh, this. And I I only use it on the pulpit because I'm timing myself. Because some of you think I preach too long. You're wrong, but I mean, I'm listening. But I'm reminded of how important it is to step away from this and step into the presence of God and step into who he is, what he's done, and what he's promised. How important all of that is for you and for me. I I couldn't make it without at least gathering with you one time through the week just not the same. It's just not the same. It's just not the same. It's just not the same. All right. Well, that's your first sermon. (laughs) Let's get on to the second one. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me, if you would, this morning to Matthew chapter 28. We're finishing up our series entitled Stronger. And I want to explore with you this morning what makes a church strong and what makes a church healthy by exploring what I believe to be the most important questions any church can ask. They're important because when a church gets these answers, gets these uh, questions and answers right, when it lives intentionally by these answers, 
That church becomes stronger. That church becomes healthier and encourages its members to be the same. The most important questions in my view are these. They are, why do we exist as a church? And who are we meant to be? What are we supposed to do? And ultimately, what does Christ want? What does Christ want for us? And what does Christ want from us? Those are the most important questions. And asking and answering these questions persistently has been our way over the years at Center Grove of guarding against the human tendency that we all share to think of ourselves and what we want, especially in relation to the church. If we're honest, we can lose sight of what Jesus wants and slip into the uh, deadly habit of making church about us, of making life about us. But the reality is that at its core, the church of Jesus Christ has nothing to do with us and what we want, but has everything to do with Jesus and what he's done for us and what he wants from us and for us. If you're a guest today, uh, we're glad you're here. Some of you are just passing through, and I hope in some way this will encourage and strengthen you. Some of you are guests joining us for the first time. Some of you are regular guests, and you're taking a serious look at making Center Grove your church family, and I think that today will be a good way for you to know us and to see our heart. This may be the day when you say, yes, this is the kind of church I I need to be a part of, I, I, I want to be a part of. But regardless, I'm happy that you're here. We're happy that you're here and we're glad for you to see and hear what we're really passionate about and what we're aiming for as a church under Christ. Now, the answers to these questions don't come uh, from us. They don't come from a committee or a church vote or our denomination. They come from scripture and what God says he desires of all his people. And at the heart of who we are, and the heart of, of the answers to these questions is a mission and a purpose that come directly from Jesus in the form of a commission. Matthew 28, 18 to 20 is known, of course, as Jesus' great commission. And before the crucified and resurrected Jesus ascended to heaven, this is what he said to his disciples. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And he says that as a way of giving us confidence as a way of giving us certainty. And he says, on the basis of my authority, here's what I'm calling you. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Go. I'm asking you to go. Therefore, on the basis of my authority and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey all that I've commanded you. And behold, he says, I am with you. This one with all the authority, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so our clear mission is to make disciples or followers or apprentices or learners of Jesus, people who are learning how to live, how to do life with him. Faithful disciples of Jesus are people who have heard his call and yielded to him when he says in Matthew 16, 24, if anyone wishes to come after me, if anyone wishes to follow me, be a disciple. He must or she must deny himself, 
yield control of his life, yield of, uh, control of her life, yield control of, of the priorities of life consistently, constantly as a matter of living, take up a cross, take it up daily, and follow me. Follow my example. Obey my teaching. Disciples are people who are preeminently learners. And they're learning to live their lives constantly saying no to themselves and yes to Christ. They're learning to live their lives with him first as a priority and then for him in obedience. Everywhere they are, at home, at school, at work, on the golf course, in the gym, in the shop, in the clinic, or the office, Disciples are learners, learning to live the new life Christ gives by living life with him in obedience in all of those places. These disciples are also people who invest their lives doing their part in this world. They hear the call to go, and they take it seriously. They hear Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. They, they know what it is to live Sent. They know everywhere they go, they are on mission. They live out God's mission of bringing others to Christ and then helping those new disciples become strong in Christ and strong in the new life that he gives. And so as individuals, we're privileged. As a church, we're privileged to partner with God in his mission. It gives our lives meaning. It gives our lives purpose. We're privileged to spend our lives here working to see people, men and women, boys and girls, find and know Jesus. Disciples are, are, are people on a mission. And our mission is radically different from the mission of everyone else around us. We are not on a mission to make money. We are not on a mission to make a name for ourselves. We are not on a mission to have the best vacations before we die. That is not our mission. We're not on a mission to please everyone. We're not on a mission to make everyone accept us or hope that everyone accepts us or approves of us. That is not our mission. We're not on a mission to live 100 years. Trust me, the older you get, the less you want that. That is not our mission. Our mission is not to, to uh, raise the best families the world has ever seen. But our mission is his mission. And he's on a redemptive mission to bring lost, hurting, and broken people to himself. The mission that he's given us is a mission to make an eternity's worth of difference not a temporary worth of difference, an eternity's worth of difference. Disciples are people on a mission. We understand that as a church. Now, this mission comes with a clear purpose, and that purpose is our purpose as a church. It explains why we exist, why we are here as a church. Our purpose for making such disciples is simply put to help change the world. And we begin by inviting people in our world to come to, to Christ with repentance and faith. We believe as a church that all other human efforts to bring change to our world are doomed to fail. 
Education cannot do it. Social systems cannot do it. Governments cannot do it. Political parties cannot do it. No presidential candidate can do it. No senator, no member of the House of Representatives, no Supreme Court justice, no majority on the Supreme Court. None of these things, none of these things ultimately can change the world. Laws cannot change the world. I'm not saying that none of this matters, so don't hear me say that. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is, if you think those things will change the world, you're wrong, and history shows it to be the case, and Jesus teaches us the same. We as a church are deeply committed to the premises that only changed hearts can change the world. And only changed lives, changed by changed hearts, will change the world. It's changed hearts and lives and a changed world, ultimately and finally, that Jesus offers and that only Jesus can offer and actually deliver on. His call to salvation and discipleship and disciple-making is really a call to a changed heart, a changed life, and a changed world. In Jesus, ordinary people with old lives, full of bitterness and frustration and selfishness and self-centeredness, all the things that are wrong with me apart from Christ. Hear, hear me, they're all wrong with me apart from Christ. But in Christ, ordinary people with old lives are made extraordinary people with new lives. Lives like his, and we see this happening in the book of Acts. We see this happening in the annals of human history. We see this happening today, wherever the gospel is spreading, the world into which the gospel comes, the world into which it is received is a world where people are changed and where people change and the world changes. One of my favorite parts of the week, I love Sunday mornings, but one of my other favorite parts of the week is Monday mornings when the staff, when we all gather together, Mondays, Monday mornings are, are for praise. And, and one of the things we do when we gather together, we gather every morning and we pray. And uh, we pray for you. We pray for different items. But um, every Monday morning is, is for praise. And uh, so we just give praise reports. And it is, it is uh, I love this, sometimes Monday rivals Sunday just a little bit for me because I get to hear stories of life change. That God's driving out through the body of Christ here. And, and it is uh, such a blessing to hear of old lives made new and of new lives being made better and stronger and of marriages being healed and families strengthened, of people finding hope in Christ, of, of victories large and small, of people growing in their character like the character of Jesus. Those are all wins for me. That's what it means to win. It is to be faithful and then see God bring fruit. We believe that by making true and faithful disciples of Jesus, our church can help change the world, one life, one family, one community, and one people group at a time. True and faithful disciples. True and faithful disciples. True and faithful disciples. So when someone asks, who are you and what do you do? Why are you here? And why do you exist as a church? Our answer is we exist to make disciples who make disciples and help change the world. And we believe as a church 
that this is the mission and the purpose that Jesus wants and that we believe this. All the time, everywhere, and in every way, Jesus should get what he wants. Now, supporting our mission and our purpose are four fundamental values. First, we, as a church, cherish the person, character, work, and reputation of Jesus. We believe that the greatest use of any life is to bring him glory. We believe that he is. We know that he is our life. He is our greatest joy. He is our greatest model for life. And consequently, what Jesus loves, we seek to love. And what Jesus hates, we seek to hate. And we seek to represent him very well in, in all that we do. We seek with all that we have in our to give him a good name among the people around us. We treasure the person of Christ. The fact that he is very God of very God and the God who took on human flesh. We treasure the character of Christ his character of pure holiness, righteousness, goodness. We treasure his work on the cross and we treasure his reputation. For us, there is no one like him and nothing here that can compare with him. And so we, try, we strive to keep Jesus first in all we are and all we do. This first value leads to a second fundamental value and that is we as a church cherish people. And we cherish people because Jesus did. We know Jesus loves people, and that means he loves broken people. And that means he loves selfish people. And that means he loves sinful people. And that means he loves sad people and discouraged and depressed people. We're grateful for that fact because we understand that among that group of people, we are one. We understand that we're among them. And we know that... We only love Christ now because he first loved us. We also know that our capacity to love others depends on the strength of our love for Christ. The more that we love him, the easier we will find it to love others. I know that whenever my heart is slipping with love for someone else or for another group, and I, I wanna speak into this this morning because of all that's going on in our world, if you're a Republican and you hate Democrats, something's wrong with your soul. If you're a Democrat and you hate Republicans, something's wrong with your soul. Jesus loves people. Jesus loves people. And when you're absolutely convinced of his love for you, it gives you the capacity to look past another person's foolishness and evil and sin. Knowing you've got your own batch of it, and Christ has set you free of it, it allows you to look past and to begin to look at people with pity and with mercy the way Jesus looked at you. We know that our capacity to love others depends on the strength of our love for Christ. And I'm regularly praying that God will stir in our hearts fresh love for Christ. Because we treasure people, though, it means that we hate sin wherever we find it. We don't cover it up, but we don't downplay it. 
What the scripture says is sin, we believe is sin. We don't adjust it, we trust it. But we hate sin wherever we find it, especially when we find it in us. Why? Well, for the same reason Jesus does. Because sin destroys. Sin destroys people, relationships, communities, and nations. Wherever sin flourishes, human human beings cannot. And, And that's a different way of looking at sin. It's a different way of looking at it when it's present in our own lives. It cuts us off from the flourishing that, that God has for us in Christ. Another of my ongoing prayers for our church is, Jesus, help us to love people more like you and to hate sin more and more like you, starting with our own, starting with my own. Help me to hate it. Now, the second value is supported by a third. We, as a church, cherish generosity. Like treasuring people, generosity is a natural consequence of persons who truly know and love Jesus. Jesus teaches us that we're to freely give to others because, he says, we have so freely received in Matthew 10. Given Christ's matchless generosity in his coming in his life and his cross death, Paul tells followers of Jesus that of all people, they can afford to be cheerfully generous. Generosity is a natural overflow of an abundantly blessed heart and life. In the Christian life, we gain by losing, and we lose by gaining. Jesus says in Matthew 16, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And so we're called to generously give ourselves and what we have in terms of our time and talent and treasure to Christ for others. I saw one of our ladies Wednesday night, and this story can be multiplied over and over again, but I was struck by one lady who's worked all day, and she teaches, uh, she teaches all day, and she teaches middle schoolers. I mean, that's, that's got to have a crown in, in it for, for Jesus somewhere. Middle schoolers, oh my soul. Middle schoolers. I can remember when I was in middle school, oh my soul. It just... God bless middle schoolers. God bless the parents of middle schoolers. God bless the teachers of middle schoolers. But she's taught middle schoolers all day long. She's got three little children of her own. She comes on Wednesday night, serves all night long, and then goes home and gets her three little children ready for bed so she can get up and go back and teach middle schoolers all over again. I love that. Because there in her life is a picture of generosity, of denying herself and taking up a cross and following Jesus. When we're generous, ministry and missionaries are supported, the hurting are helped, children are introduced to Christ in gospel living. And I'm just so grateful, I'm so thankful that God is pouring out on our church in these days so many children, so many boys and girls. Now I want them introduced to Christ. I want them to understand the gospel. I want them to be ready and prepared for the world that is coming and already is here. But when we're generous, 
Children are introduced to Christ. Family are, are strengthened and adults are equipped. And we personally find the life Jesus gives when we live generously as Jesus lived. To follow Jesus is to be generous. To follow Jesus is to be generous. I want to challenge you in that. Freely, you've received, freely give. I'm so grateful, I'm so thankful for those of you who give week by week financially. I'm grateful for those of you who give week by week in your, with your skills and your time and your talent because you make an extraordinary difference. And I want to remind you the generosity that God gives to us is just not limited to, to one or the other. I can't be generous with my time and not generous with my money. Being generous with my time is not a substitute for being generous with my money. Being generous with my money is not a substitute for being generous with my time or my gifts. It's all of those things, all of those things, all of those things. Now, here's what I know. There, there are many of you who um, were never trained or taught in generosity when it comes to financial giving. And okay, I, I understand that. I understand that. Probably I need to do some teaching on that, and, and I should. But, but what I want to say to you is, even if you understand uh, that the concept of tithing, of giving 10% of what you have back to the Lord, even if you understand that, if you're not practicing that now, what I would challenge you to do is start with 1%, start with 2%, but begin to practice generosity toward the work of God and the things of God. Begin to practice. I'm so grateful for so many of you who actually signed up to serve. And what you did was you signed up to be generous with your time and with your talents. And we're getting many of you trained up and we're getting you, many of you positioned. And I'm grateful for that. And what, what did I tell you? I, I, I told you, we wouldn't say to you, now you've got to teach a deep theological course on eschatology. You say, I don't even know what that is. Is that a, like a skin disease? No. It's a study of last things, but we're not going to ask you to do that. We're just going to ask you to start where, in, a, in a place that is simple where you can begin to practice the habit of being generous with your, with your time and with your skills. Start with the generosity of a smile on Sunday morning at a door. But that's what I'm calling on you to do because this is what Christ has called us to do, to be generous. Be generous financially. Be generous with our time, our talents, and our resources, given all that Christ has done for, for us. A final fundamental value is this. We, we cherish joy. We cherish joy because, as the Bible so frequently reminds us, where God is, joy is. So we cherish joy because uh, there is this joy that only being in the presence of God can give, and when you're there, you don't ever want to go anywhere else. When you're there, you just don't ever want to go anywhere else. Joy is both a proof of God's presence and a consequence of his work. Joy is both a proof of God's presence and a consequence of his work. This is part of the reason why we treasure being where he is in worship and why we treasure seeing him, at, seeing him work in the lives of people and in the lives of our congregation and beyond. Wherever he is and whatever he does brings joy. 
Jesus' desire for his people is a fullness of his joy. Jesus says in John 15, these things I've spoken to you, these, these guidelines, these, 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 the, these precepts that I've given you, these prescriptions I've given you for life as you learn disciples, as you learn disciples, these things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full or complete so that you might know what it is like to have joy even when all of life is working against you and the world opposes you. So we treasure joy in worship. We treasure joy in service. We treasure joy in obedience. One of my favorite, another one of my favorite things to do is to go on serve projects with the body. I, I've never been on a single, uh, a single serve project. Now, if you've been on one, don't tell me. I don't, don't burst my bubble. But I've never been on a serve project with Center Grove at a school, the rescue mission. Uh, never been on a, a sort of project with Storehouse for Jesus where I didn't see our people working with joy. Not complaining or grouching. There's not enough cleaner here or my broom broke. <laughs> or why do I have to do this or do that? Why didn't I get this assignment or that assignment? I just never hear that but I see joy in scraping crud up off of a inner city school floor. Joy in stooping down to lift others up to find Jesus. Now it's these core values that promote in us what I call an outside-in way of thinking and living rather than the normal inside-out way of thinking and living that puts self ahead of everyone else. Jesus teaches us to think about and value others before we think about and value ourselves inside and outside of his family. And this is important because we know everyone without exception needs to find the forgiveness and friendship, the life and leadership that Jesus offers. This is important that we have outside, inside, uh, outside in thinking rather than inside out thinking because we know that either heaven or hell is the destiny of every member of the human race and we believe this because Jesus taught this and we take it seriously. For those who cross the line of faith and trust him, there is real life here and life forever for those who don't. There is death here and death forever and separation from God. And so because we cherish Jesus and because we cherish people, we seek to spend our lives joyfully and generously because of all that Jesus has done for us with a great longing to see people find life in Jesus. We believe that by living by these values, we are giving Jesus what he wants. And we believe that all the time, everywhere, and in every way, Jesus should get what he wants from us. Now, driving the future efforts of our church is a particular vision. Vision has to do with direction, where you're going, what it is you want to be and become and do. Our vision can be most simply stated this way. We desire to see ordinary people and families Find extraordinary life in Jesus together. And of course, the, here's the reality. All of us begin 
life far away from God. The Bible says all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We haven't honored him. We haven't praised him. We haven't obeyed him. We haven't valued him as we should. We've all gone our own way, as the scripture says. We all, as a consequence, suffer an emptiness and frustration with life as a result. An emptiness and frustration and temporary gladness are, are the old way of life. It's the old life. The ordinary life of every human being, but all of us have souls. Souls that need healing and reshaping and restoration to a living relationship with the living God. This living relationship, that is the extraordinary life we were originally created for. And so our vision means that we work intentionally as a church to help people at every spiritual stage take the steps they need to know Christ, to grow in Christ and become like him, living less and less in the power of sin and more and more in a deep relationship with God. So as individuals and as a church, we seek to model love and compassion Mercy and good deeds joined, always joined, to a clear, faithful communication of the gospel. We aim to be his instruments, helping individuals and families and marriages find healing and life in him. We aim to make an extraordinary difference in the lives of people by looking and loving and living so much like the incomparable Jesus. We believe that being family for singles and, and widows being family for young couples who are miles away from their family in Michigan or Nebraska or whatever is what God has called us to be. And we believe too that God has called us to build up families. So the discipleship becomes a family endeavor. So the moms and dads are equipped and skilled to build up their children in the way of, of the Lord so they can live their lives faithfully as disciples. We believe that this vision is what Jesus wants for us and that all the time, everywhere and in every way, Jesus should get what he wants from us. Now at Center Grove, we have a clear strategy we employ to realize our vision, honor our values, and fulfill our mission and purpose. We call it the Center Grove Way. And our strategy imitates and cooperates with the work of Jesus in the lives of people. We know that when Jesus is received by faith, he enters our lives. And as he enters our lives, he begins to bring change right away. And the very first thing that he does is he begins to give us a new heart. And with that new heart, he gives us new desires. And instead of loving ourselves completely like we used to, he gives us a desire to love God completely. Instead of desiring to be the center of our own universe, he gives us a desire to grow in our knowledge of him as the true center. Instead of desiring to be served by others, he gives us a desire to serve others. And instead of desiring that people know and affirm us, he gives us a desire to see Christ known. And along with these new desires... Jesus calls us to certain lifelong commitments and habits. And as we've seen over the past several weeks, to be a faithful uh, disciple, a faithful follower of Jesus, is to live your life loving him in worship, growing together in small groups, serving the needs of others, and sharing the good news about Jesus, both with the body of Christ and individually. 
We can know how we're progressing as true followers of Jesus, faithful followers of Jesus by the presence of faithful worship in our lives, faithful learning and fellowship with other believers, faithful ministry to others, and faithful evangelism. To help individuals answer Jesus' four calls and to realize the vision God has given us, we work to encourage the development of these four habits so that when practiced, people of all ages in all stages of life can go deeper spiritually and take the next step in their spiritual journey with Christ. And we're absolutely convinced that every person has a next step to take. Every single one. Your pastor has a next step to take. Because God's not done with me yet, and he's not done with you yet, and he always has another step. We don't ever arrive. We believe that this is what Jesus wants for us and that all the time, everywhere and in every way, Jesus should get what he wants. So what does this mean for our church and what does this mean for you? It means that as a church, we're committed to being a strong church made up of spiritually strong people. We're, we're aiming to be a church that is built on and focused on discipleship. That may mean we are not the largest church ever. That may mean we are not the largest church ever. Now, I'll be honest. I would rather have all of you than 30. Why? Is that a matter of ego? Well, I hope not. But here's the reality. Numbers matter because numbers are people. But what we want to do with the people God sends us is help them come to saving faith in Jesus and then help them grow in that faith so that they become disciples who make disciples so that we actually can impact the world for Christ. You know, the, the message, take up a cross and follow me, is not the most attractive message. Dying to yourself is not the most attractive message message. I get that. But it is the message. It is the mandate. It is what we're called to be and called to do. So we shall see what God will do with us. But here's, here's, my, here's, my, here's my deep conviction. If we will be faithful, then we will be successful. But let's leave the fruitfulness to the master. If we're overrun with children, and we are, that's his decision. Now, some of you are helping with that. I'm grateful, but that's his decision. We will stay faithful, and we'll let God determine the fruitfulness as we move forward as a church. But what it means is this, as a church, we will seek to help you gain an understanding of what faith in Christ means and brings. We will seek to help you be ready to share Christ and help people who say yes, take their next step. We'll work with you and we'll work to help you help those people who say yes to his 
lordship and his authority over all their lives. We'll work to help new believers and returning believers become active in the life of the church. For some reason, God sends us a lot of hurt people, people who've been hurt by other churches. And if that's what we are, if we're a healing place, then we're a healing place, and that's good. But we'll do that. We will work diligently to help new believers and returning believers gain a deeper understanding of their faith and establish real intimacy with Jesus. We'll work to help more established believers go from being a people belonging to Christ to being a people belonging for Christ. And this next year, we'll be launching some new initiatives that will strengthen and expand our ability to do these things so that people at all stages of spiritual development can receive the help they need to become the people God designs and desires them to be. So what does this mean for you? You know, it means this. Whoever you are and wherever you are in your spiritual journey, we want to help you take your next step and be strong in the Lord. We take seriously our call in Ephesians 4 to equip the body of Christ to do the work of ministry. The reason why four out of 10 pastors want to quit is because they're doing almost all the ministry. They're trying to do the impossible and they're actually going contrary to scripture. But the role of a pastor and the role of, of, of a staff in support of the pastor and all that of pastors is, is, is to equip for ministry, is to release the body of Christ. So that all of us, all of us together are making a contribution to God's work and God's mission in the world. Taking the gifts and the abilities and all that God has put within our reach and within our care and using them to advance his kingdom, not our kingdom, his But there is this one caveat, and that is while we believe that our job as a church and as pastors as a body is to work to create movement and progress with equipping toward Christ so that members and, and others beyond us can know him and be, become more like him. Ultimately, we know that spiritual growth is not up to us. Your spiritual growth is not up to us. You've got to take the actual steps to pursue Christ, to grow closer to him. And listen, if you say, I'm having a hard time pursuing Christ in this way or that way, I don't know how to read my Bible. I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to share my faith. I don't know how to deal with this sin. I'm in a situation in my family and I don't know what steps to take. Reach out to us. That's why we're here. And we don't have all the answers. We've got some good guidance from a, the word. But that's why we're here. But you have to take the actual steps to pursue Christ, to grow closer to him. You've got to align yourself with Christ's call to love and grow and serve and share. You've got to allow the Holy Spirit to do the work that only he can do in your life. So as we close this series stronger, I want to pose to you four questions. Are you living strong? Are you living strong? Strong in your faith? Strong in Christ? 
Are you living on God's mission where you are? I don't ask that question to, to create guilt in your heart and mind, but to spur you on if, if, if not. Or if you say there are places where I'm not as, as faithful as I should be, I'm saying, okay, you're going to fit right in at Center Grove, but don't stay there. Are you living on God's mission intentionally where you are? Are you growing stronger in your faith? Are you moving closer to Christ in Christ-likeness? Are you helping others to do the same? Are there people around you who are coming to know more of the real Christ outside of this building because you're growing strong and living on mission with your life? Oh, loved ones, listen. How our world will be changed when and if we live as a church and as individuals saying and declaring day in and day out all the time, everywhere, and in every way, Jesus should get what he wants. All the time, everywhere, in every way, Jesus should get In your role in your family, in your role at work, in your role in your neighborhood, Jesus getting what he wants. No to self, yes to him. Ultimately, that's the extraordinary life. That's the life he, he wants for us. It's the life he gives to us. And I just got to tell you, it's not easy, but it's a great life. It's a great life. In fact, it's the greatest life. And that's what we want and wish for, for each other. I want you to live a great life. I want you to live a great life. I want you to live a great life. I know life is hard, but I want you to live a great life. I want you to live a great life. You too, but I can't go all the way down. Our world is in incredible trouble. There are a lot of opportunities to be worried and concerned and anxious. We have a Savior. We have a Savior. And He is Lord. And He is good. His mercy endures forever. And He gives us a life worth living. And as a church, we're committed to challenge and to dare each other to actually rise up and live that life. Let's stand together all across the room.
Oh, Father God, maker of heaven and earth, we come into your presence this morning rejoicing. For we have a Savior who is like no other. He came to be where we are so that we could be as he is. How thankful, how grateful we are, Lord, that as we live in a, a breaking world, we know the healer. And we've been healed. And we're being healed. And one day we will have the ultimate healing. We're grateful for that. Oh God, stir within our church, I pray, a fresh love for Jesus, a greater love for people. Grant to us a fresh wave of generosity and grant to us a deep joy. That is our prayer for Jesus' sake. To all God's people said, amen, amen. All right. I want to invite our prayer team to come. Some of you this week, some of you this week came up against a situation you did not expect and you need prayer. Some of you this week have grown weary in well-doing. You're just weary. You're tired of following and you know that you're not in a good place spiritually and you need prayer. Some of you are struggling in relationships and you need God to intervene. You need prayer. And some of you just simply need to come and say, Fresh, I want to make the declaration, the commitment. I want to see Jesus get from me everything he deserves and everything he desires. And I invite you to come. So there are people to pray with you here. There is a place to kneel here. One of the things God's doing in, in our church right now is he's creating within us a fresh spirit of prayer. And that is so dangerous. Not for us, but for our enemy. And I'm grateful for that. So I want to invite you to come as we sing this closing song. I want to invite you to come. We will pray with you. We will pray for you. We have a lady here to pray with ladies if you'd like. But you come as we end this time of worship together. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kortz. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.